0: Let's get started. Hey listen, last week was harsh, alright? There's some stuff in the Bible that's harsh, and uh, I think in a church, uh, probably the preaching should reflect a biblical proportion of things that are encouraging, comforting, um, inspiring, and sometimes a little bit harsh. And last week, I'll be honest with you, was a little bit harsh, but we're doing speaking the truth in love. Alright, and to be honest, if you wanted to pigeonhole it, last week was kind of truth and now I'm telling you how to do love. Alright, how do you convey that truth thing in love? Uh, I thought I'd show you a couple of newspaper articles. Uh, This is an interesting one from May 2010. You may not be able to see it down there. The females won't be surprised, but that article actually says men lie three times a day in new study finds. Alright. Pretty interesting. Uh, I'll read the first couple of paragraphs. There's something wiser girlfriends have long suspected. Men are far more likely to tell lies than women. is that good? Let me tell you what kind of lies men tell. A new study has found that the average male tells 1,092 lies every year, roughly three a day. Here you going with your average. I hope you haven't used it up already because it's only, what, <laughs> five past ten. <laughs> Alright, these are going, ah, jeez. Alright. Average woman will lie 728 times a year, around twice a day. Men said their lies were most likely about drinking habits. While the most popular female lie, I'm fine." Who uses that one? I'm fine," right? Face. Here's another interesting one from September 2009. This is really interesting. The headline down the bottom there reads... Uh, we're natural-born liars in a world of true believers. They make this interesting statement, you can, just, you can read down the bottom there with me, and therein lies the rub. While humans are natural-born liars, we're also natural-born believers. We want to believe you when you tell us we don't look our age, which we've lied about anyway. <laughs> so there's this interesting mechanism that goes on that we actually want to believe people even when they're lying. And uh, lying's probably a little bit ep- epidemic, you could say. I'm going to show you a clip from uh, SBS Insight, a fascinating clip which was all about lies and dishonesty. So uh, I'll just blow this up. Jason Blair in uh, Washington. You were a New York Times reporter, and in 2003 you were caught out plagiarising and making up whole sections of stories you wrote for the paper. Now, the book you've written about this begins with the words, I lied and
1: lied and lied some more. What did you lie about? Well, I lied about everything. Um, You know, I lied the little white lies, like she talked about. Uh, And she's right. Those lies were lies that were told mainly to people who, you know, I I didn't value that much. But you can find a direct connection in my lies, just like she said. Um, The biggest lies were in the areas that I valued the most of my life. Um, My wife, family, other things like that, and there's a direct connection uh, between the size of the lie and how much, you know, I didn't want to, uh, how do I put it, how I didn't want to fail to meet a certain expectation either set by someone else or myself. So. Mm. No, you lied about a plane flight you never took, about sleeping in a car that you never rented, about a landmark on a highway you'd never been I lied to. about everything. Everything. I lied about I watched, everything. What I was, what I was doing, um, uh, places I had been, people I talked to, and it had this sort of snowball effect. Did
0: it feel wrong when you were doing it, or did you actually believe in what you were doing?
1: Um I was in and out. There were moments where I clearly knew I, I was lying. But I think that, like any fantasy world, just like a little kid, you can tell enough lies that you begin to believe your own lies. Um, and when you're living in, a, in an environment, and I don't think most people spend significant periods of time in, in sort of worlds like this, but you can build a world for yourself that has so many lies that you sometimes have to check yourself and ask, Wait a second, is that a true story I'm telling, or not? I, no. Isn't that
0: fascinating? I think the most insightful thing that he said there, it was when he said, you can actually tell so many lies, you're actually not really sure what the truth is anymore. And, and we can actually do this in a church community. So this is going to be a little bit more workshopping today, so you actually have to do a little bit of work, and we'll have some of your audience responses, right? Because what we're going to do is we're going to do a little um, lie detective text. All right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up, uh, some typical lies that people tell each other in Christian community, and uh, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to uh, see if you can work out exactly what the person's saying, exactly what the statement, what, what is the true statement that someone is actually making uh, regarding this particular phrase. And once you've worked out the true statement, then you can actually work out whether it actually is true, true or not. Does that make sense? Here we go. Let's. I'll. I'll uh, we'll start off with the first one. Have you? Uh, this this one gets actually thrown out in the Christian community reasonably often, alright? You're actually, you're okay, you're actually not as bad as the other guy. What's, what, what, what is the actual statement, the true statement that they're actually making there? I'm not saying that it is true, but what are they actually saying underneath?
1: Sorry?
0: Yeah, yeah. You're bad, but not as bad, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe in underneath there, what they're actually saying is the objective is not to be the worst person. Fair enough. If you're not the worst person, you'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah, is that true? No, it's not. (laughs) It's not true. All right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. All right. So here's, here's, I mean, so if anyone comes up to you after church and they go, oh man, I'm really struggling with something, you go, oh, that's cool, man, because I know someone else who's in a way worse place than you, and you just go, you're lying to me right now, not lying to me. Alright? Because it's just, what we're really saying is, it's okay. As long as you're better than the worst guy, it's okay. And the cool thing for all of us is that Adolf Hitler lived, isn't it? Yeah? We just go, we're, we're all going to heaven. He's the only one who's going to be in hell, and we're all sweet. You with me? That's this one. Second one. You're doing right. I can understand why you did that. That's okay. I would have done that too. What's the person actually saying? Would this be a fair thing to say? As long as you're not on your own and struggling, it's okay. Is that what they're saying? Maybe? Is that true?
1: Yeah. Yeah?
0: Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, that's in there too. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that true? Well, like if you if you think spiritually in the way that God actually works and God's standards work, is it, is it true that it's safe to be in a group of 100 if you've done the wrong thing? Oh, it's not safe to be doing the wrong thing in any group, all right? even if it's a hundred million in trouble, alright? There's an interesting one. Here's another one. I can't call him on that. And I'm not talking about on the phone. It's like, I can't call someone up to a different standard because I did that one too. Alright? I can't actually speak the truth to someone. I can't rebuke someone in love because I actually fell into that too. What's the first, what's the truth thing underneath there? What are they actually saying they think is true? The only people who can rebuke or correct or speak the truth into someone else are someone who's perfect. Excellent. Which means no, no one's ever going to be speaking the truth to each other. All right? Because no one's perfect. This one is a classic one when it actually comes to parenting. I hear it on a reasonably regular basis. People have failed. Uh, when they were a young person, maybe they hit the drink and they got smashed Often and the child grows up, 16, 17, they're hitting the drink, they're getting smashed, and the parent says to you, well, I really feel like I can't say anything because I did the same thing. Does anyone know what a counter-response to that would be? Any ideas? Good. That's one. Any others? Let me ask you this. Biblically speaking... Are you called to be like me, or ultimately are you called to be like Christ? Like Christ. Alright? So, even if I fail, and I do, alright, often, you're only meant, I've said this before in the project, you're only meant to copy me when I'm like Jesus. And as soon as you see me stop being like Jesus, you start being like Jesus, and you stop copying me. Alright? To be honest, you'd be better off just to not even look at me, just look at Christ. Alright? That's the truth. And this is a thing, this is one of the things that uh, Nathan and Diff and I say to each other all the time, we just say, even if you fail, your job with me is to call me to be like Christ. Now if you fail at it, and even if you're currently failing, it's still the case that you should call me up to be like Christ, alright? Because what happens is if you actually think you have to be a really, really high standard before you can speak the truth into someone else, you know what you're going to end up being guilty of, it's self-righteousness and pride that's why you're going to go and do it. You need to be more like me because I'm getting it right. We don't, we don't really want to church <laughs> like that, do we? Okay, number four. Oh, I hate this one. With a passion. Have you ever heard someone say this? Oh, admitting it's 95% of the battle. Has, has anyone heard that? Or something like that? What this person's saying is the hardest part of killing sin is what? Admitting it. Is that true? Not in my life, it's not. Jeez. If that's, <laughs> honestly, I'd be ashamed. If all I had to do was just admit it and that was 95%, that'd be easy. But it's not, is it? Anyone who's been a Christian for long enough knows that it's a cage fight, right? It's like there's going to be blood on the floor, probably skin and hair, you know, on the walls, spiritually speaking, in your life. Um, trying to deflate some stuff in your life it's going to be intense, it's going to be brutal and it's going to be a long battle for some of the things in your life alright, number 5 at least you are trying that's interesting isn't it? is that true? what do you think? that's going quiet pin but it's a carpet floor, and you're certain not to hear it, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, is it true, like if someone came up to you and they said man I'm just, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just flying off the hill, I'm just, I'm hitting my kids across the face because I've lost my temper, alright but this week I only hit them five times instead of twelve. Alright? They said, I'm just I'm losing my temper, I'm finding it really hard and I'm hitting them and they're getting bruises, but I'm really trying to stop. Alright? Now are you gonna go up to them and say, Oh, at least you're trying.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, that's right. And in one sense that maybe your hesitancy you're just going kind to of thinking, Yeah, well let's encourage each other and I'm I'm all for encouragement as it may not have picked that up from last week, but I'm all for encouragement, alright? Let's uh, let's be more encouragement, right? But the truth is, uh, is you know, if 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 the legends and this is not in the Bible, but if the legends are true that Saint Peter's standing at the gates of heaven with a roll, letting people in and out, if someone rolls up and they've had a terrible, terrible life like all of us have had, right? If all of us roll up to Peter and we say, <laughs> "Hey, I tried, he goes, "Oh, well, you're in there, man. That's easy. I'll let you in. You had a go." Really? Is it going to cut it? See, that's if you just if someone comes up to you and says, "Look, I'm really trying," you just go, "No, it's good. That's that's the main thing." You just go, "Really? Is that actually the gospel main thing?" We're going to talk about this later because I don't think it is. And you can actually tell a lie to each other by saying, "That's all good. You're just going to be trying. You'll be okay." Six. I don't want to offend you. Now, this is an interesting lie, isn't it? Because uh, a lot of us feel that way, I man. Honestly, you might think I really enjoy offending people. It may appear that way, right? But I find it difficult too. It does. Now that's interesting, isn't it? The truth almost always hurts. All right. So the question then is: Will I be gutsy and courageous in presentation of truth, and loving in my presentation of truth, or will I only present it? when I think it's not going to offend anyone. That's interesting. What about this one? Here's another good one. It's not one place. I don't know if you've ever felt that one. This is one of the lies that we tell ourselves and we tell other people. There might be someone that God's calling us to actually engage with, but because we actually don't fit into the right place on the... Uh, uh, I, I hope we don't have one, but we will eventually have one. It's kind of inevitable. Not that I want it, but it just kind of happens sometimes It changes. You don't fit into the right place on the project pecking order. You know what I'm saying? you just going to go, there's someone over there and I really feel like God wants me to just go and encourage him or speak the truth into them, but I'm not going to do it because that's not my place. Someone else should do it. And the interesting thing is that a lot of biblical characters should they're well like that. They say, it's not my place. to do it. I mean, seriously, I don't know how long the conversation went on between Moses and God, but Moses did everything he could to talk himself out of the job, because he's going it's not my deal, like I whacked the guy in there, I buried him in, in the sand it's not my job to go back and sort things out with Pharaoh, and God's going, well it's my job and I want you to get it done for me, alright and he doesn't want to go and do it God calls you to deal with someone, well it's going to be your place, what about this one you like this one? That's just the way I am, <laughs> brother. You've got a, de- a depressive personality, and you're just unthankful all the time, and and you're down and you're flat, and you you got fungus growing on your head because you've been in the dark too long in your room. <laughs> but it's okay, because I can see that's just the way you are. You know, you're a personality type, and you're melancholy. So yeah, you know, I'll give you a cuddle every now and then, but just don't wipe your head on my shirt or anything, right? Just you get what I'm saying? Isn't this we kind of do this a bit? oh, you're a choleric, oh yeah, you're kind of one of the leader outspoken rude people, all right because cholerics can be rude sometimes and be control freaks, we are just kind of going to go, oh, you're one of the control freaks all right, <laughs> but that's you're a choleric man. you did the test and so you're allowed to be rude. doesn't work, does it? Last one what about this one isn't I lie that we tell each other? my boss made me mad today. He sounds terrible, We say to them? I'd have done the same. You got really badly mistreated. You know, it could be that actually what happened was some of your sinful, deceitful desires actually got run over the top of, couldn't it? And the truth is that maybe we could have actually uh, been saying to the person, yeah, maybe the, your boss didn't handle things as well as they should have, but maybe the fact that you're offended right now or what your boss did is what God actually wants to use to bring some change in your life. But the problem is sometimes we actually tell lies to each other and we take their side. And when you take their side, when we take each other's side when we shouldn't take each other's side, we don't actually grow and we don't learn it. You see that? It's really important. Anyway, so there's a few lies for you. Um, let's hook you in. So today, the, the, big, the big deal uh, today is actually I want to teach you how to speak the truth in love to each other. So it's, it's more of a teaching kind of a thing. You know, I don't expect people to be falling down on their faces, you know weeping in repentance before the Lord today, but this is more of a, a teaching kind of a thing where you're just hopefully going to learn a few tips and tricks about how to speak the truth to each other. Because you actually don't have a choice. If you're going to be obedient, uh, it's pretty clear in the Bible that God wants you to do it. He wants you to do it with each other, and I think this church will rock if we all speak the truth to each other. Alright? There's going to be some flashpoints and people getting a little bit narked with each other because that's what happens sometimes with speaking the truth, but it will be great here we go, motive and delivery is critical in speaking the truth in love, Tim Chester says this, love without truth is like doing heart surgery with a wet fish but truth without love is like doing heart surgery with a hammer pretty true statement I think I mean I was probably, last week a few of the turtles here, and if you were here last week you need to listen to the message, but last week a few of the turtles were going, oh this is going to be a scary church alright, because it sounded like a whole lot of truth last week, and it was a bit of a warning last week, um but turtles, be comforted, alright? Because today's about how do you do it in life so do you can bring about a good a good result. Here we go. What's really interesting, if you if you've got your bowls here, you can open up to Ephesians 4, because I actually want to point out a couple of things out of Ephesians 4, because there's a whole bunch of supporting scaffolding in Ephesians 4 surrounding speaking the truth in love. It's not like you're just going to stand up and you're going to part someone's hair with the 15 minutes of you know, tirade that you've been wanting to tell them for the last six months. Uh, there's some really good scaffolding there. So have a look at this. We've already covered this one. Ephesians 4 2 to 3 actually says to do it with all humility. I can tell you, speaking the truth in love, when you're proud, it's going to trash the place. All right? If you're humble, it's going to be helpful. This one here, maybe I, I could maybe preach a message on this because this literally spun me out. The uh, second thing that it says in Ephesians 4 there in 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness. Now if you actually look in the King James Version, the King James Version interprets gentleness as meekness, right? One of the things we looked at last week is that Jesus had this interaction with the Pharisees where he said the father of the Pharisees was not Abraham, the devil. Okay? And they're going at each other, right? And in one sense, you look at that and you just kind of think well, that's not really gentle. I I went up to one of you and said, seriously, you're that's Adolf Hitler. He's going, well, that's not general. But this is this interaction that's going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. Did a little bit of research on this general thing. It it does get interpreted as meekness. Uh, all my life, um, and I don't mean this in any way to dishonor my father, but all my life I've heard this saying meekness is not weakness. Alright? But and it's true. But I actually never really had it clear in my head about what meekness was. It was like one of these weird kind of Old school words, he's saying, what the heck is that? I don't even know what that is. Let me tell you what it is. Aristotle, the uh, Greek philosopher, actually loved meekness. And the reason why he actually loved meekness is he actually saw that meekness was actually a golden mean. It was the average. It was right in between. All right? And it it was right in between being too angry and never being angry. Meekness is actually a phrase that can be used to describe an animal. It can be used to describe an ox, for example. So when you actually get down into it, you know the actual origin uh, of the meaning of uh, the word meekness is power under control. See that? So an ox is very powerful, and, but when it's got a, a yoke on it, it's power under control. It's, it's meek. And in a sense, what uh, what Paul's saying here in Ephesians 4 is you should go up to each other and not that you should not say things you need to say, but you need to make sure that you say things in a way that demonstrates that you're powerful, but it's under control. Because we all know what happens when you have a discussion with someone and someone's power is not under control. Yeah? You're an idiot! <laughs> you're a loser! I'm never coming back to this church. Yeah? Because in a sense... Uh, Maybe someone else's power wasn't under control and then your power wasn't under control. There's no meekness happening at all. When you do speak in the truth in love, you need to have your power under control. And he goes on to say that we need to be patient with each other, bearing with one another in love. Paul is very careful in Ephesians 4 to say, yes, we need to speak the truth. Yes, we need to rebuke each other but we need to have it under control and we need to make sure that we're being patient and we're not just we haven't got a hair trigger on our gun and this one here this is interesting I, I think at the end of uh, verse 3 I think it is he actually says "Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace answer this one for me if my brother or sister is sinning and I don't say something does that maintain unity or does it break it down? What does it do? It actually breaks it down. Because the weird thing is that we actually feel instinctively if someone starts heading off and drifting, and, and we all do this, don't we? From time to time, we all drift. And, and what that actually does is that it actually destroys the unity as opposed to, to building it. So your response is, I don't want to cause trouble, I want to maintain the unity. Well, the reality is that you're actually breaking unity by not saying something. You see that? That's really important, because probably all of us, there's been moments in our lives where we've seen that happening to someone else, and we haven't said something, we should have said something. And we think that we're maintaining unity, when in reality we're not. We're actually breaking it by letting it happen. I'm going to skip. Let's get into it. The root of speaking the truth in love is this obscure passage of scripture from Leviticus 19. Check this out. This is really interesting. You shall not, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honour the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbour. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbour. I am the Lord. So the reason that um, Moses is giving why you should follow all of these laws is right at the end and it's because I am the Lord, alright? It's God saying, I'm God, you need to do what I ask you to do here. Check this out, this is really interesting. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. I heard about, uh, I'm going to make this obscure as possible, you know, I heard about some friends of ours who uh, they literally couldn't look at another Christian in the face because they they actually I'm not sure they would use the word but they actually hated the Christian in their heart. All right? And do other people do things sometimes that maybe you can say I can understand why you really don't like them very much? Right? They do. Well, we all kinda of hurt each other. But there's a little there that Leviticus is saying, you just don't hate your brother in your heart. You need to actually work through some stuff so that you don't have that intensive hatred. Now, are you going to go and uh, sit down and knit together every Sunday afternoon? Probably not. <laughs> All right? And I'm going to crochet together and uh, fertilise the garden together and pick, pick roses together. beads out in front of you going, oh, that's what we've been doing. All right? But don't hate your brother in your heart. What does it say next? You shall surely what? Rebuke your neighbour and not bear sin because of him. It actually looks like if you don't rebuke your neighbour, at some level you're bearing their sin. Interesting. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge. Oh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Nor bear any grudge. That's interesting. Where do you go with that? That is really a is I mean, if you wake them up, bear testimony to a grudge, you've got welcome to, but typically people don't want to. That's interesting. Nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself, I am the Lord. Interesting. So you can actually see there that the root is speaking the truth in love. The two motives behind it, but one of them is actually loving God. Confrontation needs to be done in the context of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. God actually wants to bring clarity and cohesion to people's lives and we are the means by which He wants to bring it. So God's actually this is not why God's got us on this rebuke drive, right? This speaking the truth drive. He does it. He does it all the time. In fact, that's what the whole Bible is. The whole Bible is in speaking the truth to you because He wants you to be in a place of light and truthfulness and not in a place of darkness where people are hurting each other because there's deception. He wants you to be in a good place. He's doing that and He wants you to join Him in it. Which means that sometimes you're going to have to do it to each other. So, the biblical motive behind rebuke is that we confront because God wants us to. It's obedience or disobedience. 1 John 4, 19-21 actually says, we won't read it now, but it actually says that the evidence that you love God is the way that you love your brother or your sister. Alright? Tell me this, is it easy for you to stick your hand up and go, I love God? Is that easy to say? <laughs> Alright? The interesting thing is, I heard this preacher a while ago talking about this passage in 1 John, he says, the reason why John's done this is because anyone can stick their hand up and say they love God, but not anyone can stick their hand up and say they love their brother unless they actually do. And so the loving of the brother becomes the physical evidence and the visible evidence of the loving of God. So, I mean, that's an interesting question too, isn't it? If people looked at the way you loved your brother and your sister, would they assume that you love God? That's really what 1 John saying. They ought to be able to. The way that we love each other, people ought to be able to look at us and just go, "Oh, well, they really love each other. They must love God. That's how it works. The second uh, biblical motive behind review, <laughs> excuse me, is... Uh, to love your neighbour as yourself. Seriously, I mean, this is like, what are you going to do if you walk past the drain and there's a five-year-old kid stuck in a drain? You're just going to keep walking. Or you're going to try and save the five-year-old kid. Try and save him, yeah? Are you there? And the difficulty is that, is that people are deceived, and this is what we talked about last week. And this is the problem, because in a sense, if you walk past a brother or sister and they're really struggling with something, they're stuck in a drain. So what are you going to do? The problem is that they don't think they're in a drain. All right, They think they're on a banana lounge somewhere in the Bahamas, All right? and they're sipping a pina colada. Okay? And you're going up to me and you saying, you're in a drain. they're going, no, I on a banana lounge. You're in a drain. No, I want a banana lounge. All right? And then if it gets intense enough, they are going, you're an idiot, because I'm in a good place. And you just going, oh, brother, sister, I don't really think you are, and I love you, and I just want to help you. And, and that's where it can kind of get a little bit messy. But it is loving people. See, tolerance, politeness, niceties don't always equal love. And often, because of this deception side of it, we actually, uh, when we speak the truth to someone else, it can get tense. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Has anyone confronted someone or spoken the truth to someone that just got a little bit messy? Yeah? It does. Alright? It is messy. Nasty stuff. This is a poor trick, biblical counselor. He says, the truth is that we fail to confront, not because we love others too much, but because we love ourselves too much. We fear others misunderstanding us or being angry with us. We are afraid of what others might think. We don't want to endure the hardships of honesty because we love ourselves more than we love our neighbours. Ouch. True? I think he's got a point. Okay, here we go. We're getting down to 10 takes here, right? Toward the end of the message, but I'm going to give you some really specific principles about how you can actually speak the truth in love to each other, uh, to help each other. Here's the first one here. I'll know this one. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Well, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So you know what this is like? This is like... You know, you just got this. I mean, you can imagine. If I if this was a log, right? And this is in my eye, and I'm you see what I'm saying? And I'm coming up with the R and I'm just gonna try to get that speck out of eye, you're just gonna get idiot. Stop doing it. <laughs> and this is the truth. I mean, there needs to be some serious self examination before we uh, examine someone else and try and get a speck out of someone else. But but let me put a qualification in here. Even if You've got a log in your own eye. Based on what Jesus is saying, does the other person still have a speck? Whether you've got a log or not, they do. All right, they do. This is really important because I had a uh, a student come up to me a little while ago, and I may have spoken about this in the project, but they came up and they started talking to me about swearing. And I said, Do you think it's okay for Christians to swear? I'm just going. and so I rattled out my swearing theology. All right. And uh, anyway, it, it got down to the point where uh, they actually started to say that the reason why they were asking me about swearing was because they had done something wrong, and the Christian had told them to get effed, right? i going to say because they're in church, but the, the Christian had told them to get effed, right? Now, the interesting thing was, this student sat there in front of me and I said, well, who did the wrong thing? She goes, well, I did. But I'm not happy with how they reacted to it. I was going, who cares how they reacted? You've still got an issue. Because you did something wrong. And uh, she kind of tried to argue back a little bit and then she just conceded. And Because I kept saying, who cares? Who cares? That's their thing to sort out for them. The truth is that this whole thing got started because you said something or did something. I don't know, I don't know what it is. She didn't tell me. But you said or did something that was wrong and it fired the whole situation up. So deal with your stuff. But the truth is, even if there's, if we've got a log in our eye and we're trying to get a spec out, the person with the speck can't say, hey, you log guy, <laughs> right? a log woman, get away from me, all right? There's nothing wrong with me because you've got a log in your eye. And we kind of do this sometimes, don't we? We just kind of go, I don't like the way you're doing it, so I'm not going to listen. We almost do it with that kind of intonation, don't we? I don't like the way you're doing it. Like a five-year-old kid sometimes, aren't we? Maybe it's just me. Get your log out, all right? If it's going to work well for you, the bottom line of all of this is get your log out, okay? If you've got a big issue and everyone can see it, it'd be best for you to actually at least be humble about it when you go and speak the truth to someone else and just say, hey, I'm not perfect, but uh, here's here's where it's at. All right, here's some really specific principles. You've got to get this off the net because I actually think uh, I've done a little bit of reading on this and these are really, really good helps. So uh, it'd be good for you probably to have a copy of it, um, of sermon.net, uh, because they're really good steps to follow. Check this out. The first thing you need to do is you actually need to deal with your anger. Who knows that anger is a really destructive thing in relationships? It just is. All right? Now, someone else has done something to you, um, and you need to go and talk to them about it, or maybe you can see them doing something else and it really irritates you. You need to get to the point where it doesn't irritate you before you go and talk to them. Okay? Because it will just get messy. It just does get messy. So just, you need to deal with your anger. Any anger in there, it's going to be trouble. Second one, depersonalize the issue. All right. You actually need to go to other people with a heart that the real issue is not actually between you and them. The real issue is between them and God. And you need to get yourself out of it. Because it's absolutely true that the real issue is between them and God, not between you and them. But the truth is, we all kind of think... There's a cracking big elephant in this room, and it's between you and me. Now, there's an elephant in the room, but it's not between you and me, it's between them and God. Alright? So, you get half of it right. So, if you did get points for trying, you'd get some points. Alright? And i might get some points, but we don't, so we won't get any points. Here we go. Number three cultivate a stand with mentality <coughs> as opposed to a stand against. <coughs> I need a prop here. Dave, uh, can you come here, mate? I'm just going to use Dave as a prop. Sure. Okay. Dave's got some real issues, right? And well, I'm, I'm just making this up now, all right? All you guys are going, oh, I'm going to start praying for him right here. Yeah. <laughs> all right? But let's imagine Dave's got some real issues. Just turn his side on. Um, he's a great guy, right? Dave and I, I kind of mentor Dave a little bit, discipling. It's going great, right? But let's just say that Dave's got some issues and I'm just going, I need to go and talk to Dave. All right? Just even if, it, if if all you're looking at here is just the body language, how do these two differ? I could go up to Dave and go, Dave, there's a, there's a couple of things that you've got a bit of a problem with. Alright? And I don't think you're seeing I, I don't want to help you to, to see. The other way I could do it is, is to do it this way. Just turn around. And just come up and I go, Hey uh Dave, there's just a couple of things I've just been noticing. Yeah, just looking at the body language, even if I say exactly the same words, which one's more confrontational? Yeah, the facing one, right? It just is, all right? Now, if you're up for it, and we can kind of do this in the church sometimes. I don't tend to do it in the school that much because sometimes uh, people take a dim view of it, but in the church it's cool. Or sometimes you can just even put your hand on their shoulder and say, hey, look, I've just seen some stuff and I just want to do what I can to help you. See, what this is, is this is a stand with attitude, isn't it? And this is what you need to develop and cultivate in your own heart. You're not going... And please don't ever point. How are you? You know, don't, don't ever do that. You know, you, it doesn't mean that you have to stand on the side. All right, you can stand front on, but the heart attitude coming out of you needs to be brother, I'm, I'm serious here, I'm here to help. And maybe I've got a waking great big log in my eye, and you can help me out <laughs> later. In the All right, but here's a couple of things I'm seeing, and I, I just want sort to of pray for you, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm standing with you. I'm a brother, I'm a sister in Christ, I want to help you out. All right. Now, if I've got that hard attitude and he hears that, uh, I can probably say some pretty direct things because he's feeling secure in himself. He's secure in uh, my love and the care that I'm taking. Fair enough? Yeah, thank you. Prop, man. Eh? is a lovely-looking prop. Here we go. Number four. Ensure content is biblically true rather than opinion. If you are going to speak the truth to someone... Who cares what your opinion is? I don't care, really. Alright? Unless it's got some deep kind of biblical foundation to it. Okay? Now I said some really <laughs> strong things last week in last week's message, right? And you can take this, you can download it off the net, you can write it down, I'll sign it. You don't have to do anything I say. You don't. No one here has to do anything I say. Some of you may have even felt maybe this week we're going to have someone with a clipboard out the back and we'll have a roll and see who's coming to church and who's not. We're not going to do that because you don't have to do what I say. The preacher's job is to help you to understand what it is that God's saying and you have to actually have to respond to Him. So speaking the truth in love gets very, very messy when you go into the confrontation and you throw a whole bunch of your opinion in. Who really cares? Seriously, I mean opinion is just opinion. That's what we're nice to listen to fills in a few gaps when you're having a barbecue in the afternoon. All right. But at the end of of the day, in terms of someone else's heart and your own heart, the only opinion that really matters is one that's actually founded upon biblical stuff and what God says is true for all of us. Is that fair enough? And I don't mean that to be offensive and just say, you know, who really cares what your opinion is? Well, I would like to hear your opinion on lots and lots of stuff. But in terms of the stuff that I need to listen to and obey, I need to make sure that I'm doing what God tells me to do. See, any sermon that I preach, if I say anything that I think you need to do and you can't find any biblical basis for it, don't do it. It might be wise to do it and you can make a decision to do it because it's wise, but don't just do it because I'm telling you to. All right? But, if I stand up here and I read you a scripture and I explain it to you and I say, this is what I think God wants you to do, don't come up with a dodgy interpretation Right? Because Christians do that too. They just think, hey, this is cool. We can just reinterpret it and then we'll be sweet. We don't have to do what the Bible says. Now, if the interpretation I brought to you seems faithful and it seems faithful to the Bible, then we all just need to do it, myself included. All right? This is not a one-way street in terms of I'm the professional and all of you people just have to get it done. All right? There's no professionals here. We all just need to get it done. And we all need to be like Christ. So make sure that you fill it with biblical Content, Because at the end of the day, if the person says, no, I think you're wrong, and you just spoke in biblical truth, you don't even have to get offended. All right? If one of you doesn't do what a preacher in this church, faithfully expanding the Bible and what God wants you to do, if one of you doesn't do it, it's actually not, it's not an issue with us. It's not an issue with me. I've got no issues with anyone who doesn't do what I say. Because as soon as I preach, I just think that's between you and God. You sort it out. You work it through and make it between you and God. And if you do that and you're speaking the truth in love, uh, opportunities, it'll take the angst out of it between the two of you. All right? Lay it down and just say, I'm leaving with you. And that's why I would say to everyone here, don't even take as gospel truth everything that I say. Go home and read the Bible and think about it. Like the Bereans did in Acts. All right. Second thing you need to do is consider the other person's situation. What does this person need to see about himself, God, others, life, truth, change that he does not see and how can I help him or her see it? Straightforward. The truth is that you need to speak the truth because someone else is deceived and they don't see what they need to see. So you need to actually go and show them um, what they need to see. But you'll need to (laughs) ask them some questions and find out where they're at. One of the things you need to ask is when you, when you seek something in someone that's not right, you're just kind of going, well, you need to find out what was going on. You need to get a bit of information, a bit of contextual information. Second thing you need to do is you need to ask them, what were you thinking or feeling as this situation was going on that you think is not quite right? What did you do in response? How did they respond to it? Um, Why did you do it? This is really interesting because this actually brings in the idolatry question, right? What were you actually worshiping? What were you delighting in at the time when that actually happened? What were you seeking to accomplish? And the last one is, uh, what was the result? What were the consequences of it all? All right. Getting the pointy end of the stick. It's good. All right. Now, we've gone. Deal with your heart. Get some more information about the situation. Here's how you do it. First one, I've talked about this already. Present in a way that leaves it answerable to Jesus and not to you. If you have a conversation with someone, and you speak the truth to them, and you make it sound like uh, if they don't do it, you're going to be really disappointed. You haven't done this, okay? If you're actually in with biblical truth and say, so "Look, the issues between you and God," Here's where the issue is. You need to deal with it. I'm leaving it between you and Jesus. That is something that could actually help community in the church. Then, what you need to do most of the time is you actually need to speak the gospel to people. What's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus came, he lived and he died in reality so that he could forgive all of your disobedience and so that he could give you his record his good record and to take your bad record. <coughs> Excuse me. So sometimes what you will need to confront people with is their sin. Because they don't see it. And you'll need to say, you need to speak the truth in love and you need to say, look man, you're just getting into a whole bunch of stuff there and it is literally killing your soul. You are defacing and mangling your soul right now. Sometimes you're going to need to have remind them about their identity in Christ. I was looking at a biblical counselling article which I'll give you in a minute. Um, where, I th- where the guy David Powelson says in Ephesians the book of Ephesians there's about 30 ish references to your identity in Christ. Sometimes people get really down on themselves they get under condemnation and they think I'm terrible I can never do anything good God will never have me back alright and I might as well just go and do this all this other stuff that's not going to be good for me. And sometimes the truth that you're going to need to speak to them is uh, brother or sister you're the son of the living God. you God loves you. Seriously, you're God's daughter. And he's actually given you a new heart. And you need to live in that new heart. You need to realise your identity is different to what you are, what you feel right now. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the forgiveness of Christ. It's a typical thing for Christians to get saved by knowing that God gives them everything and forgives all of their sins. And then what do we do? I actually see this I think, in Galatians 3. Well, you start to work by works of the law. You think, yeah, Jesus saved me, but now I've got to be good good thing to keep loving me." And we're pretty sneaky theologically, at least I am, and so you work out ways to say it sounds biblically right, but really what you're doing on the inside in your life is you're living as though God's active love for you is dependent upon how well you do. Now, someone like that needs someone to come in and speak the truth to them. That's not true, brother or sister. That is not true. You've got to forget the grace that you've forgiven by right now is as strong as the grace that you've And probably you had moments where you felt the condemnation there and you thought, hey, God's never ever going to have me back. Because ultimately, I think a lot of the time we think God's like us. And if someone did to me what I'm doing to God, I wouldn't have it day You know what I'm saying? But the truth is, Isaiah 55 said God's totally different to us. Totally different to us. So you can't say God's like you. And to be honest, I'm glad he's not like you. Alright? And <laughs> I'm glad he's not like me. Because we'd be all in a lot of trouble if he was like us, wouldn't we? The last thing here is uh, comfort and call. The two theological truths of justification and sanctification. And the one side justification is the act that gets you... In a, in a perfect legal standing with God and that's a death of Christ on the cross and it's an instantaneous thing when you become a Christian sanctification on the other hand is the progressive um, walk toward becoming what you are <laughs> becoming what you are in justification and sometimes people need to be encouraged and have their truth spoken to them in a justification sense we need to say, we need to say to each other it's a bit like the forgiveness thing there we just say listen Excuse me, your record's perfect. It's absolutely perfect, and there's no blemishes in your record at all. But you know, sometimes, rather than comfort, we need to go the call. All right? We're just going. Oh, listen, you know, you've got a true, a, a, a perfect record with you. i am just seen some festy stuff in the moment, that's It's not good. And God's calling you. To, uh, to work harder, boys. Holy Spirit wants you to work harder and to grow closer to Him and to grow to be more like Him. And the last thing we speak in the truth is it's really good to keep them accountable. Alright? After you've had the conversation, if they confess, then ask them later on when, where, why, how often. Ask them. Nasty, irritating questions about uh, about their sin and the struggle of animals with it. Alright. Okay. I'm going to show you a clip in a minute, but I just want to run through this really quick. Some of you might know this. In the Old Testament, the guy, the king who was a man after God's own heart was who? David. Alright? David was a man after God's own heart. He went out on his balcony one day. His, uh, he, he was supposed to be with his with his army that were at the war. He's gone out on his balcony and he's seen a fine young filly having a bath, all right, on the rooftop of her house. It's kind of weird, all right, but he obviously looks down and he thinks she looks nice. So he sends someone down to get her, um, and uh, at some level she ends up not fully clothed again, all right, and uh, he ends up uh, committing adultery with her, all right. She so gets pregnant, and her husband is in the army, and he's off at the battlefront. Big problem. All right? How did she get pregnant? Okay? Because even back then, people knew how people got pregnant. All right? How did she get pregnant? Okay? So what does David do? He goes, I'm in strife. So I'm going to need to get your Uriah, his, sorry, her husband back, um, so that I can cover this up. So he gets your Uriah back you so says, Uriah, you haven't been home for a while, it'll be nice, you can spend the night with your wife. Haven't seen her for a while, and he thinks, if I can just get Uriah to have sex with uh, his wife, it'll be all sweet. eyes a very noble man, he comes home, sleeps on the doorstep, all right? Basically says, all my buddies are getting blacked on the front lines, I'm not even going to go to my wife. Very noble man, so he sleeps there. So what does David do? Obviously he confesses it all, no, he doesn't, all right? He says, Let's get your eye up here, because if I can get him smashed, right, I reckon I can get him to sleep with his wife. Okay? So he gets him up, having a bit of a shindig, a little bit different to ours, I should say. (laughs) (coughs) Alright? But if Alcohol gets him drunk, he still is noble, even as a drunk man, and doesn't go down and spend the night with his wife. Alright? Now David's got a problem. What's he going to do? He's the man after God's own heart. So what do you do, obviously, if you're the man after God's own heart? Well, you work out a way to kill the guy. (laughs) <laughs> Alright? Which is pretty much what he did. So he sends a, a note back with, with Uriah to uh, one of his generals. He says, Take Uriah line, put him right in the fiercest part of the battle and uh, give a signal and get all the army to draw back so that he gets whacked. Alright? Now, that happens and he gets killed. So he's committed adultery, he's got a guy drunk, he's kill the guy, he's just he's lying about some stuff, it's messy, alright? If anything, if, if there is ever an opportunity for someone to walk in and point the finger at David, because he obviously didn't repent, he didn't feel any conviction, if there was ever the opportunity to walk in and point the finger and stand opposed to, this was the opportunity. Fair enough? Big deal. Really, really big deal. What, does, what actually happens? Well, we'll just read the scripture and then I'm uh, more slowly done. The prophet Nathan uh, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, Now you tell me, given all the principles that I've talked about so far, do you think Nathan does a good job? There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds. What's a a flock of. What did David do before he was a king? He was a shepherd, alright? What's Nathan done? He's just gone, okay. I'm not going to stand there and face-to-face rebuke this guy. I'm going to come alongside him and I'm going to take something from his background so that he can hopefully come to see something he doesn't see at the moment. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and it was like a daughter's. to now, there came the traveller to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's land and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing deserves to die. He shall restore the land fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan responds, and he says, You're that man. That's a very conversational way, a very soft way to actually speak the truth, isn't it? And if you actually look in uh, Luke 7 and uh, Luke 14, you actually see Jesus employing a similar tactic of speaking the truth to Pharisees. Now, obviously, it's very hard sometimes, but generally, what you actually see with speaking the truth is it's a conversational thing, it's a story thing. Who actually rebuked David? Himself. Isn't that interesting? See, that is probably the best way of rebuke and speaking the truth to someone else, but you don't even have to do it. Alright? You just set it up, you pray about it, you deal with your heart, and maybe, I mean, it might sound really corny, but maybe God gives you a story to share with someone. Or you use something from their past and you just actually speak into them, and all of a sudden, the job's been done and you didn't have to do it. And you actually see that happening just a little bit with Jesus in the New Testament as well. All right. Just give it to end here. Anyone seen the movie the Guardian? Yeah, good cool, one, please. All right. Guardian's got uh, Ashton Kutcher and uh, Kevin Costner in it. And it's actually a story about the uh, the Coast Guard rescue swimmers. Um, so basically, you've got a, a ship or something's going down in the middle of the ocean. I guess it has to be a ship, wouldn't it? Or a boat? It's just going... Lighthouse, I don't know go and rescue a lighthouse, they don't really sink, typically. Uh, but anyway, there's, there's a, uh, something's gone down, there's people floating around in the ocean, the sea is terrible, there's wind, there's storm. And these uh, rescue swimmers are the people in the choppers, and the chopper goes out and the rescue swimmer drops out with a line uh, attached to him somewhere, and he swims in the middle of this boiling ocean to try and save people who are in trouble. You just notice—you uh, don't really need too much background to it, but just notice one of the comments that uh, Kevin Costner makes: the uh, helicopter's on its way to where the people are, and uh, the pilot's saying, "Look, we're just—we're almost out of fuel. We don't—we don't have much time left." <coughs> it's uh, really worth a look as a levy, but uh, the line that really stood out to me, which I love for you to bring in your mind when you think about speaking the truth in love is where Kevin Costner says, uh, where their pilot's saying, let's go back, and he says, if we leave, they die. And the, the scary thing for me about deception is uh, no one really knows when the last deception occurs. It could be the last one. And in a sense, for some of you, you just kind of think, man, like, going and speaking the truth to someone would be like me jump, jumping out of that chopper into the middle of a boiling ocean. It freaks the living daylights out of me. But you know what? That could actually be the thing and the means by which God actually wants to rescue someone. Because he does that all the time. And the scary thing for for me as a teacher in the school here is uh, that we've got year 12s leaving this year and I just don't know whether some of our year 12s, it might actually be the last time that they hear someone speak the truth to them. That'd be scary. That'd be really scary. And I wonder if some of us started to be led away by the deceitfulness of sin and our heart by heart, like Hebrews 3 says, whether it might just be an opportunity for one of us to go and speak the truth to each other, and we actually might be the person that jumps into the boiling ocean to bring about the rescue that God wants to affect on people. James 5, 19 and 20 says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Anyone jumps out of the chopper into the ocean, let him know, the one that jumped into the ocean, that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Saves her life. Do you standing with me and I'll just uh, pray and uh, we'll finish up. Jesus, I just pray that you would help all and so pray you'd help me because uh, I don't really like jumping into a nation like that uh, figuratively speaking uh, but there is so much at stake for our brothers and sisters and for people that don't know you and I pray Lord that you'd make us willing to jump in to very uncomfortable places to speak the truth so that you can do the work to rescue people And uh, thank you Lord for uh, how some people here I'm sure have done this in the past and uh, have been the person jumping in to do something to help out. Thank you so much that uh, you've led them to do that. You've helped them to do it more and help all of us to do it more with a heart of love for each other. Amen.